And now, The Mentors Radio, one of the most popular and unique shows on the air today. Here each week, remarkable CEOs and leaders, including hosts Tom Laurie and Dan Hesse, and their guests will mentor you, challenging your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their ethical leadership and advice, and for helping others succeed throughout their careers, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Learn more and check out the show notes at TheMentorsRadio.com. That's TheMentorsRadio.com. And now, here's your mentor. Welcome. I'm Tom Laurie, and I will be your host today. Thank you for joining us. Today, our guest mentor is Ulrich Schmidt Maybach, whose great-grandfather, Wilhelm Maybach, designed the first high-speed internal combustion engine in 1883 and the first Mercedes car in 1901. Today, the Mercedes Maybach is known to car enthusiasts worldwide. It is an ultra-luxury car that starts at $168,000 for the S560 and $199,000 for the S650 and goes up to $450,000 a car. Three technical schools in Germany were named Wilhelm Maybach, one in Stuttgart, Helbon, and Berlin. In 2006, our guest created the Maybach Foundation, which has a dual mission purpose, honoring the history of the ingenious designers, brothers Wilhelm and Karl Maybach, while developing mentoring projects designed to build bridges from the past into the future so that new inspirations and innovations can emerge. The foundation's motto is, your best future is helping someone else find theirs. The Maybach legacy, as you will hear, is a testament to the power of mentoring. Join me in welcoming today's guest mentor, Uli Schmidt-Maybach. Uli, let's get started and tell us a little bit about yourself. You, you grew up in San Francisco, but the family is from Stuttgart for many years. How did you find your way here? Well, Tom, first of all, thanks for having me on the show today. Uh, great to be here. I'm born and raised here in San Francisco, as you said, and um, my parents came over uh, in the late 1950s, 1960s to start a family here because uh, times were really kind of tough in Germany at the time. And um, my mother being from the Lake of Constance and my father being from the Alsatian side of the French-German French border at that time. So, Tom, it's great to be here in the Bay Area and to see uh, some of the changes that have happened here really creating uh, sort of this should I say this locus of innovation and entrepreneurship, which really reminds me of my family heritage in Germany and Stuttgart over 100 years ago, which at that time was really a hub of innovation and entrepreneurship as well. Yeah, I think uh, being a student of uh, innovation and entrepreneurship, when people stop and think about it, you know, Stuttgart was a center. Uh, there were certainly uh, places in England that were center, Holland. Then we went to the east coast of the United States, and that was a center of innovation. And then where I grew up is in Chicago. That became a center. Pittsburgh was a center. And it's really in the last, uh, what, uh, five decades or so that things have shifted here uh, in terms of real innovation in the, in the hard goods side rather than the agricultural side, which is still in the Midwest. But now you have Asia. 
I mean, mm. you, you can see, you can actually see innovation as it flows where the centers of innovation are, but Asia is now becoming an important area as well. But now, your dad was a, a physician. Uh, tell us a little bit about your, the, your mom and dad. So the Maybach side comes through my mother, and um, they were, I guess you could say, family friends back in Germany back in the day, and they actually met up here, and uh, I guess the magic happened then at that time, and they decided to get married and start a family here. Uh, my father had been, a, had been a young medical student in Germany at Heidelberg and was then uh, sponsored by the Americans to come over here at the time, and then he was at UCSF doing his med school here in the United States as well. And um, my mother had been visiting her brother at Penn State, where he was studying engineering. And after a, a road trip together, they came here and they visited the young doctor. And like I said, that's where they met and decided to you know, join forces. My father had a long career as a physician here, both in family medicine and also in homeopathy. And then was also a, a guest lecturer, I guess you could say, at UCSF in his, in his later years. And what was life like for you growing up? I mean, you came from a fairly renowned family. You were here in San Francisco. So fortunately, in some ways, it was a new place. But what was life like for you growing up? I had all this innovation in the family and the medicine. And I know that's come into play more recently as well in some of your interests. But So, you know, Maybach didn't really become part of the popular vernacular until about 20 years ago when the brand was brought back by the Daimler Motor Company and the standalone Maybach brand that was first uh, a concept car in 1997 in Tokyo car show and then was launched as an actual production car five years later. And so we had, a, I would say, almost a relatively modest upbringing. And there was a, there was a great focus on education. I think more than anything else, it's, uh, I think my parents thought that if you can educate your kids, that's the single best thing that you can do for them. And while I had been the one out of the four kids who always had to pay attention, or I should say just naturally paid attention to the family legacy and the stories around that and going to Germany almost every year and attending these board meetings and so on and so forth, that became really ingrained in my psyche. And so I'm the one in the family who really picked up the reins of, how should I say, the heritage story, the collaboration with the Mercedes Maybach today, the Daimler Motor Company. And uh, having studied business as well, I, I think I was a natural fit for that. Are you the uh, oldest uh, of No, four? I'm second youngest of four. And I'm surrounded primarily by artists who are, I should say, quite gifted at what they do. Well, great. And uh, we're going to shift gears a little bit. And I want to go back to uh, your great-grandfather and how – because there was a lot – about him and being identified, and they brought him in. He was an industrial designer. Wait, tell us a little so bit about So let me just put this into, into perspective. 1815, volcano Tambora explodes in Indonesia. Big cloud circles, the world settles over southern Germany. Famine, really difficult time. Out of this comes really this German industrial revolution, and part of that is Wilhelm Maybach, who was the result of a number of factors, but his 
Mother died of tuberculosis in the mid-1800s. His father, shortly thereafter, drowned in a lake. He goes to an orphanage. At that orphanage, he's effectively discovered by Gottlieb Daimler, who realizes that this kid has talent, and the two of them work together for the next 35 years, founding the Daimler Motor Company, coming up with his first high-speed internal combustion engine, putting it into a cycle, thereby creating the first motorcycle, putting it into a boat, creating the first motorboat, and then in 1901, designing the first Mercedes, which was effectively the first modern car. So that's, in a nutshell, sort of this, this story of invention. Well, we're going to come back in a second with uh, Ulrich Schmidt-Mabach, the great-grandson of the famed inventor Wilhelm Mabach. Uli founded and runs the Maybach Foundation, which is focused on building bridges to the future. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I'm with Ulrich Schmidt-Mabach, the founder of the renowned Mabach Foundation, whose motto is, your best future is helping someone else find theirs. Uli, we've been talking about your great-grandfather. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about uh, your grandfather because he played a major role also in the uh, creation of the uh, motor company and also in, in the creating wealth for the family. So Carl Maybach, uh, already as a child, spent a lot of time in the factory floor, and I think that in itself is sort of core to this father-son mentoring relationship that we had there. And if you think about it, today's, should I say, kids of successful businesses, if they're not doing that, they may not end up being best suited for taking over that company. So we have this big succession planning battle between, say, private equity and, um, and actual succession planning, who's going to come in. And so from the German model, especially, we have what's called the Mittelstand, which is the, the primary powerhouse of German business. Uh, you have, and they're basically family businesses. Most of, I'd say 90% of German businesses are family businesses. And it's the inculcation of that culture from one generation to the next, which is really this mentoring model uh, that, that leads to the success of that German, should I say, business success. So Karl Maybach, supported by his father, comes out of his sort of adolescence. He's also an engineer. He gets his first start by building engines for Count Zeppelin in 1908. High altitude aircraft engines get those Zeppelins up really for World War I out of range of anti-aircraft fire, which was really sort of this innovative thinking. He took those engines up to the highest altitude mountain he could and he um, tested them there. And that's why they were really high, highly efficient engines, which then after the war in the Treaty of Versailles, there was no more defense work. These engines were then used for, well, cars. And that's what really made these Maybach cars so amazing is that they came from these very, very precise, high-performance engines. He then also spent time uh, really pioneering the German rail system, designing effectively the world's first high-speed train, and he did something that's really important. He, he developed what's called in German the duale Ausbildung, which is a dual-track educational system. And he saw that he needed to bring competent workers into his company, so it was really, uh, should I say, academic work backed up with apprenticeship work. 
So it was really this sort of mentoring of new people coming into the company, and that hadn't really been done prior to that. Now, he, as I understand it, he worked on himself. He worked on the factory floor at one time, right? Uh, not him? No, no. So Carl founded that company, and really they got their start by building engines for the Zeppelin. Count Zeppelin was sort of this phenomenon at the time that spawned a lot of other businesses, both from uh, lightweight construction to gears. So a lot of these companies still exist today in some sort of a form. But the apprenticeship program that they had, and, and um, uh, one of the examples of this is uh, we have a Obermeyer company, which is an outdoor clothing company mm-hmm. based out of Aspen. So Klaus Obermeyer, who turns 100 next weekend, is the oldest from Forbes magazine, oldest CEO still in charge of his company. He turns 100 this this coming weekend. So so Klaus, who, who was a farm boy growing up in southern Germany, came and went through this apprenticeship program. And out of the 37 kids that he went to high school with, he's one of four who actually survived the war. And he says the reason he did is because he went into this apprenticeship program, which he also owes his success to. Uh, so it'll, I'm bringing this up because I get to go to the birthday party next weekend. I'm very, very excited to see this, and it's just great to still see these, uh, what we say, Zeitzeugen, which are time witnesses uh, to people who are still alive today who, who worked in some capacity for my grandfather. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show, and today we're talking to Ulrich Maybach, who is focused on mentoring, inspiration, and innovation through the Maybach Foundation. When we, um, so one of the things as you were talking that struck me is Germany is really way above or way beyond everybody in terms of apprenticeship programs. We hear a lot about that here in the United States. I mean, it, and it sounds like you're great-grandfather and grandfather had a lot to do at least with that uh, what's gone on been very important to Germany and its success and uh, lots going on here in the United States today in terms of people talking about how we've lost that or never had that I guess in some areas we've lost it I grew up uh, early and worked as a bricklayer mm. and uh, apprenticed under other bricklayers uh, but we know that a lot of kids aren't going into trades uh, there's a shortage uh, but it really tell us a little bit about Germany and the the, um, the importance of the apprentice program because that's really mentoring. So I'm I'm no specialist on the German educational system, but it does distinguish itself from other systems, primarily the United States in this example. So early on in Germany, depending on how well you do in school, by the time you're 13, you really need to decide, or the decision is made for you whether you will go into higher education or whether you will effectively get a vocational job. Uh, The thing is, vocational jobs in Germany, be they bricklayers or uh, restaurant business or lathe operator, often uh, develop to highly paid jobs eventually. And because you have an early beginning and a long development that includes both academic and apprenticeship, you become very, very good at it. And that's why this whole made in Germany uh, idiom is one that is so strong and powerful. The Germans really put a lot of emphasis on this. And um, who mentored you? Who apprenticed you? Boy, I'll tell you. You know, I wish I wish I'd been a little bit more coachable as a child. I <laughs> knew everything better myself, and I think I really shot myself in the foot with that because uh, 
you know, I think uh, I think you really need to be an open mind and have uh, have a have a humility, which I think came to me later in life, is really understanding the importance of humility and the ability to open up and to really pay attention and learn from other people. Now, I understand in 2003 you were at the Cannes Film Festival, and nice place overlooking the Mediterranean. And you had somewhat of an epiphany at that time that life really, uh, <laughs> life really didn't have much uh, for you that uh, was exciting. Tell us a little bit about the epiphany and where that took you. So when the the iconic Maybach car came out in 2002, 2003, uh, the the car company engaged in a number of worldwide events and press activities and had asked me to come and participate. And I looked at it and I thought, well, I guess I could look at this as being sort of like the chief quality control officer by looking to see what's actually coming out and who's buying it and so forth. Uh, and I, I admit there were a lot of really fabulous events, uh, among them the Cannes Film Festival where the, the car would be really presented to the Hollywood elite and the really global entertainment elite. And um, I recall staying at the Carlton on the Quasette and we'd been – out the nights before with, this is great, fabulous, going down to the Nikki's Beach or these different clubs. And and I recall waking up one afternoon, really, I think it was, and looking out here onto the shimmering sea and the big yachts, and I just I just didn't feel very well, not because we'd had such great time last night. There was a certain personal hollowness to what was going on here. And I, I really felt that there needed to be more meaning and more purpose, uh, especially to this position that I had, this really sort of unique spot that I was occupying. And um, so as I returned home the next day, uh, I was flying back and I was sitting next to uh, Dr. Bangsberg, a doctor who I'd met on the airplane. And he said, hey, you know, you want you want an Ambien here to up with a flight. And I said, no, thanks. And we ended up chatting and talking. And I learned about the work that he did, which was really developing medical competency in East Africa. And he trained several hundred doctors a year. And I'd already been thinking about this mentoring issue a little bit because it went back into the family archetype. And we ended up doing our first mentoring project together, uh, where we then identified first five and then finally one medical professional that we accompanied for the next five years, got him to be chief of medicine at his hospital in Uganda, uh, possibly the first, the most published uh, researcher in East Africa and still practicing medicine. And then David got hired by the Harvard School of Public Health to really promulgate this whole mentoring idea into other countries. And uh, we judged that to be our first and also very successful mentoring project on a larger sort of conceptual scale. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about the Maybach Foundation and the work that you're doing. This is Tom Laurie, and I'm with Ulrich Schmidt-Maybach, the founder of the renowned Maybach Foundation, whose motto is, your best future is helping someone else find theirs. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Hi, this is Tom Laurie. We're with Ulrich Schmidt-Mabach, the great-grandson of the famed inventor Wilhelm Mabach, uh, who developed the first high-speed compression engine. And we're talking about inspiration and innovation. Let's um, – we're talking when we left in the last segment. We're talking about uh, your 
founding the foundation and getting started with a doctor and helping people and moving this, getting this doctor ready to go back to uh, Africa and also the success he had subsequent to that. What else has the foundation been involved in? And so, what's the mission of the foundation? Let's start there. So the mission of the foundation at that time when we began was to really create a relationship between uh, a very successful person in a particular field with a talented young individual facing adversity, focusing on the 18 to 30-year-old cohort. And the goal being to make a difference in the individual's life as well as in our lives as, a, as the public. We had, um, we subsequently also did an art project with uh, Julian Schnabel, the artist mentoring Vahakanar Selenian, a uh, young, deaf, dumb, and autistic artist, uh, which culminated in a show at the Venice Biennale where Julian had taken a armored Maybach car and had turned it into a piece of art and Vahakan had then done the interior of it, especially the windows, and he specialized on sort of aircraft parts and uh, terrorist and violence issues and items which really sort of fit to the car. And what was really interesting at the time is that the, the board of directors at, at Mercedes had been, how should I say, taken aback by this. It was a little bit shocking that, that this is what you should get back. But what was really interesting is that we realized that the customers of this sort of ultra high net worth segment, they got it. They understood it. And that's when you really understand the distinction between sort of a luxury product and an ultra luxury product, or should I say a premium product, product and an ultra luxury product, where we really turned this car into art. Uh, and that's also why we did spend a fair amount of time in the art world, having worked also with David LaChapelle, the photographer, and um, Garrett Suri, his mentor, uh, pardon me, his protege, uh, who even today has really discovered this nature voice and is just doing amazing, amazing work. We did also an athletics project uh, with a young man from an impoverished portion of Sulu Nation in South Africa, who had grown up really in a sort of dirt floor, tin wall shack, third generation of this, and had been a third generation groomsman. And the head of the equestrian camp told him, Spoot, you need to get on that horse four hours, six hours every day and make something of yourself. So he became a very, very good equestrian and uh, played, played polo on the club basis. And we heard of him through the the, the British Polo Association, and then checked him out, ended up taking him on, forming a project, sending him to Argentina to train with the greats there. And he then came back and ultimately became the first black person to play on the South African polo team, which from our point of view was very iconoclastic and very sort of barrier-breaking uh, at that time. We had also done a, a job with uh, Larry Silverstein, which I say a project, and the rebuilding of the World Trade Center, getting four young photojournalists from around the world really unprecedented access to the rebuilding site. And they were really the only ones who could come in there and take pictures and document this rebuilding. Among them was a young Vicky Roy, who has now become a, a really renowned Indian photographer. And Vicky had been a runaway 
living on the railroad tracks, gathering scraps of food from the tracks and actually repackaging them and selling them to people. So a very, very interesting young, young man, and he found this broken camera and fixed it and took pictures of his world of street urchins. Uh, we heard of him through an orphanage, also in New Delhi, and then picked him up. And again, he was one of these four photojournalists, Nicole Tung, who's covered the Arab Spring and a number of these other big uprisings in the Middle East, was another one of these protégés. Uh, we are working on a retrospective book, which I hope will come out in the next six to eight months, uh, documenting these projects that we've done up until basically 2015 uh, to sort of summarize where we've been with our projects. So the uh, documenting of the projects would be very interesting. Yes. But as you're talking, the thing that I would find fascinating uh, is to have these people who you've lifted up and supported and have gone on to do great things. It would be interesting from a first-person standpoint what they were experiencing before you came along and then where it took them and what they learned along the way. i got to believe people, when you think about somebody that's scrummaging around in the garbage, finding things, and then all of a sudden they're thrust into some new role, and uh, all of that. it's got to be quite a story. Tom, I'm going to take that back with me today, and I'm going to make sure that that's included because I think you're exactly right. What a right. great story. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there are people yeah. out there struggling in which you uh, can show them or these people mm -hmm. can tell their story. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, just I, I'm sure there's be some great stories there. Um, now, your, your foundation uh, also does some interesting things. You have a mentor garden compendium, a 90-page handbook that teaches you course skills on becoming a manager. Talk, talk a little bit about that. That's I was going through the website and found that. I couldn't access it, I should tell you. I tried on the website several times to download it. You can go fix that. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to. I, I'm making a mental note right now. But tell us about the what, – what? So, so we've worked with a number of regional mentoring programs uh, just so that we truly understand what mentoring is about. Because as you do this sort of more high-concept work – you don't want to overlook the actual audience and what's going on. And one of the things that we learned is that mentors often do more harm than good. It sounds counterintuitive, but without training, you're likely to do more harm than good. And the reality is that two hours of training, you flatline, and with six hours of training, you can actually start doing some good. Um, given that, background, we decided to author this compendium to give people that two hours of training, just so that they can read through this book. It'll take them a few hours and uh, maybe take a little quiz at the end, and then they have a better understanding about what the mentoring relationship actually means. And it's a lot of it is about expectations, managing expectations. It's not like a fairy godparent is going to fly in and suddenly provide you know, those things you ever wished for. It's more of a discussion partner. It's more of a relationship. And I think for the mentor, too, it's not just there to make you feel good. You know, you actually need to deliver some sort of an assistance to the protege. So we're trying to fill that gap. Well, we're going to put uh, a link on our website for our audience that they can go to so Great. they can download this uh, handbook. It sounds very interesting. I want to certainly read it. It's obviously something very uh, personal to me. So we're going to take a, another break, and we'll come back and talk some more about the Maybach Foundation and what you're up to. This is Tom Laurie. 
and this is the Mentors Radio. And now, back to the Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Loy, and I'm with Ulrich Schmidt. Mabach, the founder of the renowned Mabach Foundation, who's doing a lot of good work in the area of mentoring and helping other, others mentor. So they, the best future is helping someone else find theirs. That's the motto. We're talk, you talked briefly about the compendium that you guys, uh, that you, you have on your website. Um, you also put, have some talks. You do um, some talks. Tell us, tell us a little about your series, uh, that you have your speaker series and how people can hear these people. I think they're on YouTube or something. Maybe you can. Yeah, yeah. So some years ago, we, the Maybach Automotive brand uh, was on hiatus, twilighted in 2012-13, actually came back in 2014. And during that time period also, as we were working quite closely together on these projects with uh, the automotive brand, we also were focusing more on a museum project and the restoration of a of one of these vintage trains that my grandfather had built from the 1930s. So I did not want to let the mentoring component drop, and I wanted to do something in a community-oriented way. And uh, then it basically pioneered these mentor talks, which was matching a mentor figure with one of their protégés that we were able to select from the community and then present them in in a public forum, which we did here in San Francisco at the Battery, uh, the, the club uh, that Michael Birch founded a few years ago that's also very sort of technology-oriented and culture-oriented. And I think in San Francisco, we're all very happy of having. So we had that as a platform to be able to deliver this message. We started with the North Face founder, Hop Klopp, who's also a professor at Stanford these days and a very smart business mind uh, who had then mentored a young woman back in the 1980s in the international business space. Uh, We've had the director of NASA Ames and his protege, Chris Kemp, who was at that time in his early 20s and the chief technical officer at, at NASA. Uh, talk about their relationship and really sort of the the air cover that the mentor gives the protege in life and in, in work. Uh, we're doing a really interesting one on December 10th, I think it is, in, in the extreme sports area uh, with JT Holmes, his mentor having passed away in one of their daredevil uh, escapades and a young man that JT is also mentoring more on the academic realm of things and who is now a World Cup ski racer. So that'll happen as well as the widow of uh, Shane McConkie, the mentor figure. So that'll be an interesting three-way conversation, uh, especially how do you get a, how do you get somebody who mentors you in a field that is so on the edge and so revolutionary as that. Um, I'm doing that. We're doing that really because we're trying to move from this single mentor protege story to something more popular and applicable. There's so much pressure in our society to, to help billions of people as opposed to just one and really tracing the effectiveness and to be accountable for, let's say, Conrad Mazura, the doctor that we worked with over five years. How do I measure the effect that he had, the positive effect? I mean, I know that 
patients that he treated and the people who may have learned from his research on cryptococcal meningitis. But, you know, we, we really need to make this palpable and feelable. And how can I make the idea of mentoring more common in our in our cultural language and our vernacular about one person helping another as opposed to everybody just being out for themselves. So I think that's part of it and we're looking to create some kind of a tool or instructional method whereby we train mentors. We teach mentors how to be better mentors which really in effect is how do you have a good relationship with another human being. Mm-hmm. Well you've hit the sweet spot of why this show exists. Bravo. (laughs) (laughs) This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. And today we're talking to Ulrich Mabach, who is focused on mentoring for inspiration and innovation into the future. Um, You have, so your your foundation uh, is part of your family office in a sense that you help subsidize that. But you run a family office and you've been involved in a number of business endeavors uh, tell us a little bit and let the audience know what a family office is and some of the business things that you're doing and where do you get mentoring because you're in a number of different areas. Where, where do you learn about these things? You know, when you, when you talk about um, where do I get mentoring, there's this thing going around right now, and I heard a talk from uh, Peter Diamantes, uh, I think at the summit conference, talking about how he doesn't read the news anymore. And he instead gets his information from the different startups that he works with and that he mentors and invests in as well. And I find the same thing is true. It's almost a reverse mentoring where we're seeing what's going on in those companies and communities and mines, especially here in the Valley, that, um, that I'm learning from. I mean, there's so many very, very smart, brilliant people in not just here in the valley, but we do have the privilege of, of being in this area that's become sort of this magnet and Mecca is a cliche, uh, that if you're tuned into that, you really have the ability to pick up a lot of, a lot of learning about how things are working. Uh, the new book by Eric Schmidt, for instance, well, it's been out a couple of years, uh, about these new, new ways that business works. You know, it's been so disruptive, not just the products that we're coming out with, but also the, the management systems and how these have, have changed and evolved. So I would say that's where my learning comes from. Uh, I'm frequently involved with family business conferences and networks around the world uh, where I'm able to learn how different cultures and nationalities deal with uh, succession planning and, and business issues surrounding succession planning, being fourth generation in this Maybox space. Myself, I'm able to also share some of that value with these other families. Uh, And I think from an investment point of view, the family office has really turned into this whole sort of world of its own that's become a lot more interesting in the last 15 years or so, I would say. And what are some of the businesses that you run out of the uh, family office? So we're, we've been able to carve out the non-automotive branded approach to the Maybach brand and the Maybach Icons company, which is based in Germany, makes amazing eyewear, all handmade, all very bespoke, leather goods, equestrian goods, apparel, and we have, I think, five boutiques right now worldwide, primarily in, in Germany, 
uh, in Paris, in the Middle East, and to some extent also in Asia, but the, the channel model is different in Asia at this point. Uh, and also eyewear in the United States. We haven't launched the full, uh, full portfolio here yet in the U.S., but that's going very nicely. And um, other than that, from a, from a family office point of view, real estate has always been a passion of mine as a child. And having worked in software uh, through, the, through the 90s, uh, the, the drive to do something that's tangible has always been very strong. And do you still follow the automobile industry uh, in any way in terms of where it's going? Or, or I, I do. I'm probably more interested in mobility than I am in automobiles. Uh, and what that means is really point-to-point watching what's happened with not only Uber and the ride-sharing and the scooter companies and the volocopters and the JBs and these different forms and modes of mobility, I think, is a really, really exciting place to be. Well, we're going to be right back with uh, Ulrich schmidt Maybach. If you have any questions or feedback, call anytime at 844-810-8255. That's 844-810-TALK. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie. I am with... Ulrich schmidt Maybach, the founder of the renowned Maybach Foundation, whose motto is, your best future is helping someone else find theirs. We've been talking about mentoring, talking about automobiles, talking about family offices. Uh, talk a little bit more about you. What are you most grateful for? Boy, what am I most grateful for? I think the opportunity to be alive at this time. I think it's a, it's a great time. It's a great location to be, to be surrounded by all these ideas and opportunities and, and really finding myself on that steep part of the curve when it comes to new ideas and technologies and adoption and to be in a place where they have a, a good medium to grow in. And what do you be, believe? to be true about work? What do I believe to be true about work? You know, I, I listen to a lot of YouTube videos. I'm, I'm working through the uh, Stanford course on uh, human behavioral evolution right now. And I listen to um, both Steve Jobs' Stanford address and then also Arnold Schwarzenegger. And Schwarzenegger just talks about hard work and just focusing and having a vision. And I think that is probably one of the most important things to pass on uh, to, let's just say, a young person trying to make their way. I don't know if I'm answering your, your yeah. question, but I think you hard work alone isn't enough. You need to have a goal. You need to have a focus. You need to have a vision. Because if you don't have a vision, you don't know where you're going. And I think for a lot of people, that's the hardest part. They can work very hard, but they don't know where they're going. So maybe the obligation or one of the places for the mentor to start is to try to help the discovery of the vision, of the personal vision. What's the best advice you ever received? 
Uh, <laughs> what comes to mind? Uh, life is a heavy thing to be taken lightly. How about that? Or um, maybe it's that part about vision. I know it's you, you, you. Oh, I know what it is. We all, especially being in this environment that we are, we have so much opportunity. So you're not going to be able to do everything at the same time. So it's important to line things up and to do one thing at a time and then go on to do the next. And that way you'll find that, you know, we, we overestimate what we can do in one year and we underestimate what we can get done in three years. And what is the one thing about you that few people know that you're good at? I'm a really good skier. <laughs> Snow skier? Yes. All right. Well, I imagine you've skied in the, uh, down in the Alps and everything. So I have. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's my <laughs> passion. And uh, yes, I can understand that. It's one of mine as well. So it's, uh, it's really something to be out there. And as a matter of fact, this week, Looks like you can be up in the sea. Yeah, yeah, We're going to get yeah, a big storm. Yeah. Uh, what do you believe to be true about leadership? Uh, I believe that as a leader, you are serving a population. And I think that oftentimes people think it's about them as an individual, but it's really about the people who are following you. And the last question, what do you believe to be true about success? Uh, I just, that, that, that cliche comes to mind. How does it go? Uh, success is, uh, uh, or success and happiness, right? Success is getting what you want and happiness is wanting what you get. Well, thank you very much uh, for your time. Tom, thank you. That's it. Until next week, at the same time, our guest today has been Ulrich Schmidt Maybach, the great-grandson of the famed inventor Wilhelm Maybach, who founded the Maybach, uh, Uli founded the Maybach Foundation. We have been talking about mentoring and building bridges to the futures. Thank you, Uli, again for joining us. Remember, if you tuned in late, you can listen to this and past shows by downloading podcasts by going to our website, thementorsradio.com. When you are there, make it easy for yourself and subscribe to future shows. Thank you for listening. We will be back next weekend at this time for the next edition of the Mentors Radio Show. Until then, this is Tom Laurie signing off for today. Remember to be all that you can be and keep the candle lit for all who struggle in the darkness. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.TheMentorsRadio.com. The preceding program, copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved.